Um, how do you guys understand your audience? Because Netflix is just about to eat your lunch. Like, I don't know if you know, but in four years, they're going to make 900 shows in one year. It's going to be a bloodbath for you. Hey there, Powder Cake fans. Nick here from the Powder Cake team. And this is episode 119 of Powder Cake Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas outside of Silicon Valley. And today, we'll be speaking with James Norman. And James is the founder and CEO of Oakland-based Pilotly, an online platform that enables content creators to get feedback from a representative audience at scale. And James is a serial entrepreneur who started and launched his first company at the age of 16. And it was an automotive e-commerce site called mjhsound.com. While previously he had been known as a visionary in automotive product planning, in the past seven years, the media and entertainment industry, he has become a key thought leader in over-the-top media and consumer video consumption behaviors, which is what led him to starting Pilotly. This interview is super cool. I mean, his experiences are awesome. It's a great interview. And you get some cool insights into what it's like to work in the movie industry as well. So... Let's get started. Now uh, we're talking with James Norman, who is the founder and CEO at Pilotly, which is an online platform that enables content creators to get feedback from a representative a representative audience at scale. You know, it'll help with pilot TV shows to advertisements. What they do is they help gather the data needed to optimize business outcomes. And so, uh, James, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. And so, based out of Oakland, California, correct? Yeah. So... What, uh, obviously, there's a lot of entrepreneurship in the area, yeah. <laughs> yep. especially in tech, but what is it that sparked your entrepreneurial your, your entrepreneurial journey? Like, what got you going there? Um, so, I mean, with that respect, um, I, I'm semi-unique. Um, I was born this way, so I've always been doing this. Um, so I would say, like, um, the better question there is, um, how did you get the exposure to be involved in Silicon Valley, right? Because mm-hmm. I've been doing businesses since you know, since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did my first website in 95. Um, you know, we were one of the only people online selling car audio. So it's just what I do. Um, but I did get <clears throat> kind of like sparked into the actual tech space um, by way of, uh, who was my original co-founder for Pilotly actually, my buddy Joe. He, he went to MIT. So his network's very different, right? Like, I went to Michigan. That's a great school. Yeah. But, um, you know, MIT's kind of, like, doing some different things. <laughs> and so um, and so his roommate, uh, which is, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Drew, he started Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I forget, like, we were in Manhattan Beach um, at our place, hanging out, and Drew comes, he came to visit. He's like, yo, uh, you know, my startup, they're bringing me in Y Combinator, which is, like, the first, either first or second class. Either way, like, you know, he showed me the whole thing. He's like, they're going to give me 25 grand and da 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 I was like, that's crazy. I can't believe they're giving you money for something that doesn't exist. Like, it's these things <laughs> that, like, didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And so he, like, passed me a lot of information back from what he learned. And, and I kind of, like, um, it's one of those things where you can see other people um, doing things. And you're like, well, I know that person. And I feel like we have the equivalent qualifications. So I'm going to go do that, too. You know, like, <laughs> so I want to code something, too, and get money for that. Um so yeah, that's kind of how I um, got into the tech space. And at the time, I was in car design. Mm-hmm. Um, but the closest thing I was to at that time was Hollywood. Because I was, um, at that exact time, I think we were doing cars for Fast and the Furious 4. 
And so um, I was just like looking at the set and how things were set up and realizing like um, spent, I spent at that point, I had spent maybe 12 years in the automotive industry. Um, and so uh, I noticed like these parallels between the television industry and automotive. They're both like these American things that are like 100 years old with like super legacy problems, right? Like, and it's the only businesses where there's like these creatives that do like great things and then the bean counters get in the way and then they try to distribute it, but it's distributed through people that don't actually like create or own the content. It's, it's car dealer mm -hmm. and cable company. Yeah. Nobody really is into either of those things. And they really like destroy the consumer experience and the consumer feedback loop that helps these people improve. So like just seeing those parallels, it really kind of made me like want to learn more about every aspect of the TV side. Um, and I use those, I use those kind of like, uh, I guess, parallels to help me understand how I can operate in that space. So um, I've been doing video technology since 2008 right now. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And so that's kind of how you got the idea for Pilot Elite. How did you get started then with, um, I mean, obviously I, th I feel like Hollywood would be a hard place to get into selling these people. So how well, did you get that going? So in 08, obviously we knew nothing. So we went to some conferences. Um, and, and streaming video is very new at that point. So it was like super thought leaders showing up and, and they were very accessible because there was a large portion of people who didn't even believe in what they were talking about, right? So um, I could show up and meet people who are now like doing serious things. Like the other day I met Albert Chang, he's the head of um, Amazon Studios. I met Albert Chang in 2008. Like, and he was like a big proponent of streaming video and like taught me a lot about what I needed to know about the industry to build, build my initial platform. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, by way of going to these conferences, um, meeting people who are excited about their careers and understanding like why they're excited about the space. And then, um, and then just like uh, always looking for feedback from them. The problem becomes um, innovating in Hollywood is challenging for Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley is always trying to disrupt. Mm -hmm. And Hollywood's like, I don't need disruption. We, we, we're a 40, 50 billion dollar, you know, we do all kinds of money. <laughs> we, we don't really need <laughs> to be good. disrupted, right? And so um, when you go in there with the mindset of, well, where do you see the problems and how can I be of, of help to you? Mm -hmm. It just changes the whole dynamic. You know, um, when I show up places, people aren't looking at me like, oh God, here goes that guy. It's like, oh, cool, it's James. I can tell him something and he's gonna make it reality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to look at yourself. That whole place looks at everything as talent. Mm -hmm. So for a period of time, all those talent agencies, they were trying to be VCs and like look at entrepreneurs as talent and like put them in little buckets and like try and get some percentage of their transactions. Like not realizing that model doesn't really work for that, but mm -hmm. it's a very, it's a talent driven place. And so if you present yourself as a talent that can create something and make it great, then they're excited about it. They're excited about stories. And so um, I think the way I got into Hollywood was through getting, going to those conferences and learning, but it was also my personal story. And if you have an interesting personal story, then they want to know you. If you don't have, any, if you just a kid who went to MIT who's like, I have new technology, I think you really need it. They're not interested. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you're a guy, oh, I'm from Detroit. You know, I used to design cars and I built cars for this movie that you were a part of. I'm interested in that story. Tell me mm -hmm. more. You know, um, so it's a story driven economy, and I just happen to have an interesting story, and that helped me become a part of that. Um, but to quickly answer your question about. Um, getting to Piley, I built GroupFlix, um, and it was going to be the first a la carte TV service where you choose what shows you want in the monthly subscription. Oh, okay. um, and to do that, I needed um, a few million, or I needed two million dollars to pay for the initial content contracts that I was going to set up. So these investors said, "Well, if you can get the contracts, we'll give you the money." So I go out, got, I built the platform, got the users, all that, um, got the contracts. 
went to the investors, investors disappeared. And I was like, oh, that's great. So you told me to go do something, I go do it, and now you guys just disappear? So mm -hmm. I went back to the studios and asked, I told them what happened. And again, story. And then I was like, hey, um, how do you guys understand your audience? Because Netflix is just about to eat your lunch. Like, I don't know if you know, but in four years, they're going to make 900 shows in one year. It's going to be a bloodbath for you. Like, in terms <laughs> of, like, you're going to have trouble finding creatives to make stuff on your, on your network. Yeah. And, um, and so they told me about in-person focus groups and Nielsen and all that. And I was just like, this sounds expensive. It sounds slow. You know, as, as your content gets more niche, you're not going to be able to get that same audience in one room to get the right feedback. It just sounded like there was lots of problems. Mm -hmm. And if these are the problems that the big guys have, and the small people who came and afford this stuff, like, they're just kind of, they got nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how we came to Pilotly. So, like, we just, like, basically took that platform, which was going to be a consumer-facing streaming video platform, and transformed it into a market research platform. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on the product? So, like, how does how does it work? Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, right now, NBC is running a study. Um, they're doing something around Facebook. So, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Because um, the environment in which the user takes the experience, uh, the, the, the environment in which the user takes the study, the experience changes based on the type of content and your goal. So, if you want to test out a set of uh, Facebook video ads that you're going to put out, mm -hmm. we'll put it into our simulated Facebook feed and make it a mobile-only study. Someone will get activated via email. It'll tell them they get this many points for taking the study. And those points are redeemable for gift cards. They come into the study. They answer a few questions. We're profiling them, like how often do you use Facebook? Um, what's your familiarity with these TV shows? Make sure you fit who we're trying to get feedback from. And you go into the feed, interact. And then if you don't interact with the target content we're testing, we're going to put a recall prompt. Mm -hmm. Did you see it? Did you not see it? If you did see it, why didn't you interact with it? And then we do a forced exposure of the video to make sure you've seen the whole thing to do a creative analysis. All that information, all those interactions are going directly into the client dashboard and being processed in real time. So you're not just getting out like an Excel sheet of data for you to try and figure out what happened. You're getting like key visuals that are directly comparing like the performance of each ad, not only against each other, but against control stimulus that we have within the feed that we have normative data around. So the system can automatically tell you what ad performed best and why. And the same thing transitions over to when you do a TV episode, except for the metrics are different. It's not percent click-throughs and how long you stayed on the card and whether or not you fast-forwarded the video and full-screen watches and all that. It's about uh, overall watchability, character likability, show pacing, how many people tuned out, and what was the drop-off. Like Those are some of the key benchmarks that you see. And you can dive into that. It'll tell you why this character performed well. It'll tell you um, why the pacing is working well based on the type of activity that took, pa took place during a certain period of time during the video. Uh, and so uh, we're the only in-the-end full-service solution that allows you to both target an audience, capture it dynamically, run a study, and get all the data out and get insights. I, th I think to that point, do you mind just highlighting on um, almost like competition in the space, I assume, with the amount of content out uh, yeah. with, uh, without uh, and all these kind of feedback mechanisms, kind of what makes Pilotly unique yeah, so like, than what you had highlighted? Um, I think in the digital realm, you'll find a lot of people using what I call level one analytics, like very high level. So YouTube creator, I got this many shares, I got this many likes, I got this many comments. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but as you go into it, you start to realize that these are kind of vanity metrics that are kind of giving you like an overall Nielsen rating, you could call it, but it's not really telling you the why. Yeah. And so we live in the why. So most of the things we out there, out there we see as like signals um, and high level information. But combining that information uh, within the context of what you're actually trying to learn is what makes Pilotly special. So, you know, we consider ourselves a part of market research, but ultimately we, our, the category we've carved out for ourselves is audience signal comprehension. Mm -hmm. 
So we collect all these signals. We can look at signals from anywhere, but it's all about comprehending it within the context of what's important to the client. And right now that's only done through market research firms. So you hire a Nielsen, you hire a Melward Brown, a MarketCast, a Screen Engine, and those people use a bunch of random tools that they can pull together and they do a bunch of research internally. But it's expensive, it's slow, it's not something that's scalable, it's not even accessible to most content creators. It's just too expensive. So I guess my question would be then, if you're doing, so a lot of these things are hiring you for a one-off you know, research project. Let's say they want to test how this specific ad or this show is going to do. How then do you turn that into something that's recurring? How do you get? I like that. I like how do you that. Get that? Uh, so every research company ends up like that, right? Like I got this project. Can you run it? Can you run it? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the business of um, changing business outcomes for entire organizations or for an independent producer. Um, when it comes to like the independent creators and whatnot, <clears throat> we have an express product that they can do, and that's like inbound. We don't reach out to them. Mm-hmm. We hang out with those guys. We let them know, but like. Mm-hmm. They come in, they can run the stuff, they can spend two grand, it makes the questions, automates output, boom. It's like five step process. Yep. The business that I focus on in terms of like our outreach and our main clients is, is organizationally based. And so I know that if you use my product once, something else is gonna come up after that and you're gonna forget that you just used it. And maybe you'll remember four months later when you have a problem and you're like, who else can solve it except for Pilotly? <laughs> you know, we become the emergency company. <laughs> Like you need to get something done and like, well, sh- shoot, the research company we have can't do it. Um, my friend can't do it. Remember Pilotly? Maybe they can do it. And of course we can. And they show up <laughs> like, can we launch this tomorrow? I'm like, you can launch it today if you have time, you know? <laughs> but what you realize is um, you have to, I don't, I don't, we, our product is not available transactionally to organizations. Because if you are wanting to make the mental shift to use a different way to understand your audience, then you have to make the shift. Mm-hmm. You can't just use it here and there. And so what you do is you get a trial. So <clears throat> people show up and they'll say, how do I use this? They're like, well, let's know how long you need to figure out whether or not this is the solution to your problem. If it's not the solution to your problem, we can part ways. But I know in my heart, it's the solution to your problem. So I'm never really worried about, about <laughs> posing that, right? I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? Well, I build a rate card because even though our cost is, very, is variable because of the audience component, um, we know that every customer has a finite amount of audiences they want feedback from. So by building a rate card, I create this value menu by which now I can build you a trial in a minute. Because you can say, well, I do want to parallel test a TV show for this audience, and I do want to promo for this one. And so let me get two number twos and three number threes and two number tens. Mm-hmm. That's your trial. So now instead of doing a $7,000 transaction that you're going to forget about, I can set up a $60,000 trial that both allows you to get all our full attention in terms of um, you know, which, in terms of like making sure that we're delivering everything you need, mm-hmm. but also it gets your organization changing the way they operate. Yeah. And so it starts off with like um, definitely a hands-on service of what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, but it very quickly becomes well, no, I guess we'll do the survey. That's too easy. We don't want to pay you two thousand dollars to do that. Oh no, I guess we'll manage the fielding. It seems to be all here. All we gotta do is press a couple buttons. We won't pay that thousand dollars. And so like we begin to extract ourselves from the process, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then what happens is, uh, inevitably, um, right now, it's, uh, luckily we have 100% conversion rate from trial, you know, they turn into annual contracts. Wow. Um, and so it's really about understanding, um, I'm really focused on the human factors of customers right now. You know, like how do they feel, what, what, makes, them, um, what makes them feel good at their work, right? Because my client has a client. And I think until you realize that, you're not really thinking about it right. And so um, the whole, I operate my whole business based on that right now. I'm trying to make my clients look really good to their clients. Like, I'm not really just trying to provide a solution for them, you know? 
That's awesome. And that's really clever way to transition. I mean, you basically have to change the way they think. And right. I think that's an interesting way of going about doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested just because the amount of content that is currently out there and you probably get pulled in a lot of different directions. You know, what is the vision for Pilotly over the next three years? So, um, uh, fortunate and unfortunate enough to like not have enough funding to do some things. And so we made, we made a lot of little, we're only able to test Facebook, Snapchat, podcast, TV show, film, because we had to keep creating new solutions to keep making money. Mm-hmm. And so now that we've done it, we don't really need to go out and build a bunch of like random solutions for everybody comes around. It's like, these are the solutions we have. There's a bunch of them. Anything outside of that, we don't do it because we already got enough. And so um, my vision right now is um, really to hone in on landing and expanding with the customers I currently have. You know, when you talk about organization like Viacom, like we work very heavily with like Comedy Central and Paramount, but we only do a little bit of work with BET. I should be doing a lot of work with BET. Like, if it's the African American Network, I want to be the guy doing all the stuff. If it's Tyler Perry, I want to be the guy doing all the stuff. You know, so like, I, I right now, um, I'm looking at the organizations that we work with and trying to make sure the entire organization's bought in so everybody gets a good, gets a good value out of it, but also just becomes, again, a consistent deliverable that their clients internally are used to. So everybody gets excited about that. Um, so I think that's my thing. Um, we're not focused on any one individual vertical, like, cause, because it's flexible. So, um, as long as, um, they have a market research team and they're willing to shift themselves towards more of a DIY solution over time, um, then like we're willing to work with them. And I think the most interesting thing that we're going to do that we're not doing heavily right now is going to be around audio. Um, it's going to be your podcasting is becoming really big. It's entertainment. And, um, <clears throat> I come to realize I studied the creative elements of video to build what we built. And I did that under the teaching, you know, under learnings of people who are experts. In audio, you know, we never really thought about it, but, um, you know, I'm an expert in audio. And so are, so are some of the people on my team. And we're passionate about it. We're audiophiles. Mm-hmm. So I think, I feel like um, there, people are still spending money with Nielsen to test literally radio. You know, people are calling up these little startups to try and test some audio and like they're literally like having people thumbs up and thumbs down it. I'm like, it's not that. Yeah. It goes way deeper in that. It's like, what are the tones? What are the progressions? Is it crescendo? Is it diminuendo? You know, what's the, what's the tempo? It's, it's like all these different aspects in which you can quantify creative content to help you understand what helps it perform and what doesn't help perform. So like, I, I, um, like I'll go to Dolby. And we'll sit in a white we'll sit in a room and whiteboard with and these people these guys are smart. Mm-hmm. We'll just geek out on like how far we can break down some stuff, <laughs> video or audio. Um, so I'm like we're keep doing what we're doing around um, the enterprise level, very focused on that, not so much focused on the individual level. Um, but then hopefully having the bandwidth to kind of geek out more on the on the, all the information we have and find more ways for the system to quickly get you to the story of your data. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the culture at Pilotly. Oh, yeah. That's super important. Um, Again, like going back to the story thing, like how we got into the business. um, Doing what we do, like, for instance, like defensibility. It's kind of sometimes it's like I can always talk about how defensible the product is from the standpoint of our ability to take all the signals and and place them into algorithms to actually comprehend some insights. But you could say to yourself, I look at the user interface. I could copy that. All right, I'm going to try and copy this, copy that, right? 
But when it comes down to like putting all that in like a orchestrated fashion that works and having someone develop that, um, it took two years to do that with, with people, one, who can code, and two, are all creative. Like my CTO is an actor. Like he's been on Young and the Restless, he's been on Modern Family, he's been on Blackish. You know, my other developer is an actual like artist. You know, I produce music. Um, we're, we're actually creative. So like our ability to understand the creative side and the technical side is like top notch. Mm-hmm. And it's still, there's still days where I look at my team, I'll be explaining something to them and they don't get it. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like we're going back and forth, we're going back and forth. And I'm like, but these guys are the best people to possibly understand what I'm saying. Um, so I think bringing in, for me, my culture, I'm in the creative world, I need to bring in people who have creative sides. So that's a big part of my culture. Um, it helps everybody have a common basis on which they can like communicate with about non-work stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the I like the I like the variety and age of my team. You know, my CTO is much older than me, um, so he has much more life experience. Mm-hmm. And so even when I may do something that is you know out of pocket or whatever, he's not going to react to it like a thirty-year-old person. He's going to react to it like an older person and be like. I think you should pro- approach that differently. And this is why, this is how I've seen this before. And then you have a younger person who's like trying to do a bunch of cool stuff, but sometimes needs to be calmed down. And I'm the older guy doing that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like having that group is super cool. But then also just from like uh, a, a background standpoint, you know, <clears throat> um, having different worldviews is important to me. So you have the common basis of the creativity, but we technically come from different places, right? Um, we're, we come from a lot of different like ethnic backgrounds, um, and so it leads us to come up with more interesting ideas just because how we look at problems, we all look at them differently and everybody's open to that. And so that's super cool. Um, and so right now I would say it's five guys on the team. My main focus in the next five employees is to have at least one or two, you know, more women. It could be all women for all I care, but it has to be at least one or two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially on the development team because it sets the tone for what the development organization is gonna be like. And if you don't have women in the first three employees of your development organization, good luck ever having them. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least for my business, it's super important because, and we did have a couple women on the team. One was doing the UX, which was phenomenal. And the other one was handling marketing, but we ultimately didn't have the resources to keep them on at that time. Mm-hmm. But having those people back and then also having them on the development team changes the whole game. Like there's a reason our product functions and as smooth as it is, it, and it's because there was a variety of people that help put that together. Um, and then so like, that kind of goes into like, you know, um, an external thing that I do, I run a nonprofit called Transparent Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings together women and people of color from around the country, like the top performing companies. So you have to have a product and you have to have customer validation. I'm essentially looking at your company and knowing that you should be funded. Mm-hmm. But you might not be able to tell the right story. You might be missing like one little piece of the puzzle. You might be missing a certain team member, whatever. You might be missing one piece of the puzzle, but I know I can bring that to you. So we fly you out to the Silicon Valley, a five-day program from product strategy, fundraising strategy, storytelling, legal. We do a demo day, um, like a curated uh, investor set. And, um, you know, everybody on my team is passionate about that. And we kind of see ourselves as like the, you know, the golden team that's like, really showing like how you can bring all these different types of people together and do something super interesting. Um, you know, the program's doing really, really well. Uh, they, they raised more money than I have, you know, 78% funding rate. They've raised $35 million in seed fund over the past three years. And it's 40 companies. That's awesome. Um, so you're talking about like people raising half a million dollars, like a week after they got the program. Um, 
So uh, super, everybody's super passionate about that. And everybody kind of volunteers on that, like like probably about eight hours or no, sorry, probably about 20 hours a year. Um, but, you know, it's not much work to have such a great output. And then what that does for me is, I mean, one, the team's super close. So like my team's never going anywhere. Right. But it just um, it gives a lot of exposure to me as a founder. Um, it gives um, exposure to the company. And when we hire people, it just puts a statement right there, like in the culture, like you already know who you're coming to work with. And um, a lot of people going to work for Google and Facebook, and they're all complaining. They're like, oh, I don't know if this is the right environment for me, yada, yada, yada. People take a $100,000 pay cut to go work somewhere they love going every day. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're not, they don't need 250. They can get paid 150. They're going to be happy every day and come work for us, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it just helps in all aspects. Yeah. yeah. And that's a huge part, too, is building that employer brand as well. Mm-hmm. If you can tie that in and have people know when they come talk to Pilee to work there, I know what it's like to work there already. Mm-hmm. You're going to attract the right kind of people, and they come. I feel like hiring comes a lot easier then. Yeah, yeah. So, and it really has. I mean, the only thing stopping us from hiring is capital. So we go <laughs> go get a little bit of that, hire some more people, make some more money, go get a little more. Like and that's why you're at Unmet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, for the listener that wants to get more information on Pilotly, um, where can they go to get more information? Um, simple, just uh, pilot.ly. Um, new website will be up in Q1. You'll actually see customer journeys on it, so it'll make a lot more sense to you. But right now, you can go to pilot.ly and learn. You can both learn about being a user and like giving feedback on surveys. And also, if you're a client who like needs feedback, you can see both sides of it there. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> and then you can go to transparentcollective.com as well. It's my nonprofit, and you can learn more about that too. Awesome. Cool. And we'll have links to both of those in the show notes for you today, too. So uh, cool. for all the listeners, you can check that out. And thanks for coming on today, James. Cool. No, thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you, James. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to check out James and Pilotly at pilotly.com. And for links to his social profiles and other people, companies, and resources mentioned in this episode, head on over to powderkeg.com and check out the show notes. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powdercake.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Cake Igniting Startups. All right. There we go. Let me know if you need anything else, Alden. <laughs>